You are listening to Trailcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Trailcast on Mountain Bike Radio. If you want to support Mountain Bike Radio, head over to the website at mountainbikeradio.com and look at becoming a member or hit the shop up over there and pick up something for yourself or somebody else you know who rides. Uh, Check out the new Amazon affiliate link there too, where you can click on that link, shop on Amazon, and a little bit of your purchase goes to Mountain Bike Radio and it doesn't cost you anything extra. I have something a little bit special for all of the listeners here today uh, who get tired of listening to me go on and on about trail stuff. I have a special guest, but I want to preface her introduction. We'll be talking about the current hot-button topic of bikes in the wilderness, and it currently doesn't matter which side you take, someone is going home mad. Please, don't send any angry emails to Bend. Send them to me, okay? I've got plenty of room for emails, angry or otherwise, because Kelly at Apex Nutrition, who asked everybody to send hate mails to me, apparently is well-liked. She doesn't get a whole lot of hate mails. So um, if you're listening to this episode and you want to vent, the email is trailcast at mountainbikeradio.com. In fact, more than any episode before, I want to encourage people to respond to this episode. I want to know what you think about the episode in general. Um, and what, if anything, you learn from the episode and how you think the mountain bike community should proceed with this issue. So with all of that said, let me introduce Ashley Kornblatt. So joining us, we have Ashley and Ashley, I'm not even going to try court Kornblatt. You got it. Okay. Kornblatt. Awesome. Um, who you were formerly, uh, an, an board president. Um, so you're not currently, but that probably makes you pretty familiar with the inner workings at EMBA and sort of the, the, the attitudes and the procedures there. Um, Uh, but hang on. I don't speak for EMBA. It's very important to note that because I'm not on the board right now or the staff, I, my views are my own. Absolutely. And that's what I got from, you know, sort of reading the opinion piece that you did on, on MTBR. For those who don't know, um, Ashley did a, an opinion piece on MTBR uh, called Say No to the Sustainable Trails Coalition. And it's caught a little bit of heat. But in my opinion, this piece is the most lucid explanation of why Imba approaches uh, the, the wilderness bike wilderness situation the way that they do. Um, and, and there are a few things that I would say to maybe maybe clarify that even further than it has there, but I think we'll get to it. But uh, so, so Ashley, um, congratulations on what I think is a great piece of writing and hopefully something that, that would open people's eyes. Um, what, uh, what, what at this point in time do you feel like, you know, if there's been one response to this that's been um, like just kind of overblown, what, what do you think you'd say to the whole thing? Um, because people are really, really passionate about this issue. And um, unfortunately, it's a really, really complicated issue. And people don't always take the time to understand it. And they react on the surface. Um, I had a professor from business school who used to say, you're dancing around there on the skin of the onion and you think you know what the onion is all about. Right. So, so that's, I, I, that's a, a fantastic analogy. Whoever he is, is or, or she is, <laughs> very, very intelligent, um, very wise words. So, though you're not a spokesperson from EMBA, um, can you give me some insight on EMBA as an advocacy organization? Like, what is the primary method that EMBA uses to accomplish goals and generally make progress when they're working with land managers and conservation agencies to, to gain or to maintain access? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we solve problems. We work as a partner with the land manager, not as an adversary. And that has given us a lot of power. 
Emba has more members than ever right now. We have more chapters than ever. We have more clout in D.C. than ever. I mean, Emba's kicking ass. And sure, we haven't solved every problem. And one of the problems that we haven't solved is bikes and wilderness. But so let's look at what, what is the problem? What is it? Let's define it. Um, and there are lots of people who define it on the surface and say, smart people who say, um, horses are allowed and we know that we do less damage than horses. So it totally makes sense that we should be allowed. It's just not fair. And so there's that argument. There's that sort of definition of the problem. Um, and in that way, uh, there you are on the skin of the onion and you peeled up a little piece of it and you feel like, yeah, it's not fair and we should fix it. But if you really want to learn about public land, which is what mountain biking is totally dependent on, without public land, there are no trails anywhere. I think um, maybe George Bush and John Tomac both have trails on their ranches, but the rest of us need to ride on public land. Right. So, okay, so given that public land is so important to our sport, it's pretty important to understand how public land management decisions are made and how management plans are made. So, and to do that, you do have to know something about the history, and you also have to know a little something about the way democracy works. And that's sort of the place I would want to start is how does democracy work? Well, most decisions in a democracy, the idea is that you're making a decision that will benefit the greatest number of people, that will do the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So when we deal with healthcare or uh, anything, you know, that's sort of the idea is that you have to have, if whatever you're doing has to benefit a lot of people. And, you know, we all complain when there's some tiny interest group that has some unfair advantage, that they get some unfair advantage through the law. That's why people hate lobbyists because they think that lobbyists are somehow making it so the tiny special interest groups get more than, you know, that's what's, democracy is not working when a tiny group gets an advantage over the rest of us. Right. right? They, they have undue influence because they have more money than the rest of us, I think is the, you know, that, that's the perception. Right. Right. Um, so, okay. So, um, so how does that apply to public land? So we have a lot of rules that um, govern how public lands are managed. And one of them is the National Environmental Policy Act called NEPA. And another one that's relevant is the Wilderness Act, right? And the Wilderness Act was passed in the 60s, and the idea was that we should take some places and put the needs of nature above the needs of man. And you can say, oh, but horses, that's, you know, that's letting people go in on horseback. That's not putting the needs of nature. Well, like all bills, they had to make some compromises to get the bill passed. Right. So, um, so that was the basic idea. And then NEPA is the, is the law, National Environmental Policy Act, that determines how we plan for public lands, how we as a people plan for public lands. And it sets out a whole system for the way public comment is managed and, um, and, the, and the science and the, the analysis that you have to do when you make changes on the way that public land is managed. And NEPA has actually saved a lot of land for mountain bike trails. Like without I, NEPA. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. Go ahead. Right, right. It's, it's wonky. <laughs> it's very wonky to talk about NEPA. Um, just knowing the word NEPA is, means you're, by definition, a wonk. So, um, but the reality is that because of the way NEPA works, we've saved lots of land from timber sales and oil and gas development and mining, or we've minimized the effect of those resource extraction activities um, and saved lots of land where we've subsequently built mountain bike trails. 
and and that's you know you you approach this uh, from from the uh, a standpoint where as somebody who who has been an advocate who's been the guy you know taking a proposal and and a map with some some hand sketch trails on it to uh, a city council meeting and said you you have this piece of land um, I'd, I'd like to I think it would be beneficial for the community for there to be you know some some multi-use recreational trails in these woods um, and, and everything you're saying to me makes sense it's like you're speaking the same language I am and I feel yeah. like I feel like we have uh, this this um, massive influx of people on social media and stuff on the internet who you know they mountain bike but I, I think that the percentage of people who are who are yelling about the way that all this is being handled probably we're probably in single digit percentage um, who have ever been in that that position as an advocate and understand um, you know a lot of what like you and I are talking about this and we take it for granted we understand uh, the that situation and and you know when when I say uh, when I say to you. I've, I've never been able to build an inch of trail because I insisted that I had some sort of given legal right to be able to do it. Every time I have been able to build trail somewhere, it's been because I've established a relationship and I've said, this is how this can benefit the entire community, not just, it's not just me so that I can go ride my bike in the woods. It's the entire community. You know, you've got uh, a, a, a big set of condominiums over here and I see a lot of kids running around and you know it's it's literally a hundred yards from this park where you know it's a park but there's really nothing there and there's all these woods and these hills there you know and these kids have bikes and and the ones that don't you know we they can go back there and hike in the woods and we can get them out from in front of tvs playing video games and let them play in the woods you know and that's Mm -hmm. good clean fun um so everything that you're saying rings so true with me it's and exactly. So, so let's build on that, right? So in that case, you know, what you were talking about, in theory, the land would have been owned by the city, so it would be the city council's decision about what to do with it. So instead of marching in there and say, I have a right to ride, I'm going to go build trails whether you like it or not, you said, hey, I understand that this is public land and that you people, these elected city council officials, you've been charged with managing this land. So what I'd like to do is convince you that this is a good idea. And, and we've been doing that like crazy all over the place, building trail. And Emba has been, you know, we always had the challenge of being the support organization. We don't want uh, to step, you know, we want to support the organizations that are actually on the ground building trail, which is why the Emba Trail Crew was such a great idea because it was like a little support team that would come to your community, meet with your land managers, help you make that argument, teach you how to build sustainable trail, or you might be teaching them. Like, we would be working together to build trail, and we've been doing that all over the place. We've built thousands and thousands of miles of trail, both EMBA and our chapters and the clubs and every mountain bike advocate that understands they don't have a right to ride anywhere that they have to earn that right by proving that building those bike trails or opening the trails to bikes is going to be good, is going to be good for the greater good. It's going to be meaningful for more people and be valuable to, to a bigger section of the community. So, so, right, so that's the fundamental concept. And when you take that up to the federal level and you look at our federal land that we share, as all Americans share in the ownership of these federal lands, a few dollars of our tax money, uh, a very small amount goes to to these federal lands, and we and so that means the governing body is Congress. So when you go to Congress and you say we want you to change the rules um, because we think it makes sense, or you go to the Forest Service or the BLM and you say we want you to change the rules because it's going to benefit a group of people and these are people who care. We're getting youth outside. We're getting we're doing all these great things. So. We've been doing that. That's what Emma's been doing. We've been working with the Forest Service and the BLM on all these different projects. And um, I mean, just to back up for a second, my day job, I have two jobs right now. And one of them is I own Western Spirit Cycling. And it's my job to take people on backcountry trips, primarily on federal land all around the West. 
So you'd think if anybody in the whole cycling community needed access to wilderness, it would be me. Right. I mean, um, that's that's you're making a living doing that, and that's sort yeah. of like, that's sort of like me saying, you know, I make a living building trail. Uh, so you know, like, you got to give me access to this land so I can build trail. Well, that they don't. Uh, this <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not an argument. So, so, but and and I because I've spent so much time on the federal land working on multi-day trips. You know. I know right where the wilderness boundaries are. I know what those trails are like. And sure, there's a few that would be great to ride. No doubt about it. But are there millions of miles that need to, or even thousands of miles? No, that would be great to ride in wilderness. Not really, you know. But that but that's not the question really. The question is not would the trails be, be rideable or would they be would they be good mountain bike rides? The question is should we be able to ride there, right? Because that's what SEC is saying. They're saying we should be able to ride there. So, um, and so the second part of my background is that I have, uh, in the last few years, I've started a nonprofit called Public Land Solutions, and we work on recreation economy issues in gateway communities. So, again, I'm all about promoting trail and helping federal land managers build more trail to meet the needs of nearby communities. Um, so, okay, so there we are. We've got to go convince Congress to make a change. So when you look at STC's argument, they say um, they're working from um, it very much, it feels like uh, the perspective of Southern California, and um, it sounds like things have gotten pretty crowded in San Diego, and there are trails in nearby wilderness that I believe um, I'm not sure what year each of those wildernesses were created, but um, uh, I think most of them were created before the invention of the mountain bike. Um, and so their argument is that it's a new day, we have mountain bikes, and, um, and we should be allowed to ride. It's not fair that we can't, and we, and we should be able to because we do less damage. So... Um, in their draft bill, they talk about how that, that allowing mountain bikes on single-track trails will improve the fitness of our armed forces, will also improve the fitness level of firefighters, and in fact, it will improve the fitness of the nation in general and therefore improve health care, like make health care costs go down. So... These are some very, very big claims. And if you were talking about opening up, you know, tens of thousands of miles of trails to massive numbers of population, then maybe those things would be true. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about opening up a very small number of trails to a very small number of people. And so it's really not possible that their bill could provide the benefits that they claim it will benefit. And the true test of that is that if you're running a bill through Congress and you claim it's going to benefit certain groups and those groups have not joined you in trying to pass that bill, you have to ask yourself if it's really going to benefit them. Right. So I guess there's some kind of, um, I don't know, it must be a naval base or something in San Diego or maybe it's, uh, uh, I'm not sure what kind of military installation they have there, but if those if the folks at that military installation joined them in asking for these trails in the nearby wilderness areas to be open, it'd be a whole different conversation. Then all of a sudden you're talking about, um, well, one, it wouldn't apply to trails all across the country. It would only be applying to those trails near San Diego. And, um, and, and, so if you and if the firefighters of the nation decided to join this effort to open these single track trails, or if the healthcare industry said, "Wow, yes, this is really going to make a difference. People are going to be more fit," you know, okay, that would change everything because then you'd be talking about 
making a change in our laws that actually benefit a large number of people. Right. But then you'd have to, you know, when you start talking about, uh, you know, I, I can see if you get a military base behind asking uh, for a specific wilderness area or two uh, or, or, you know, the firefighters union or what have you. But when you start talking about the general public, you know, look to go back to what did I say the number was? I looked it up. It's 40,000, 40,000 ish members in the members. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, although I, I say, you know, we have, you know, probably probably. 50 guys who ride pretty regularly in this area and probably five of them are EMBA members you know in spite of my heckling a lot of them going you know you guys really should join up you know just just for just for the numbers you know that's how that's how you're going to get people's attention you know whether it's we're looking at EMBA doing it nationally or whether you're looking at you know just being able to, to get people's attention locally to say you know we have we have a group where there are 50 EMBA members you know right here in this part of Tennessee um, you should join up, uh, but but the reality of the situation is is that even if you say, well, you know, okay, forty thousand is five uh, percent. So uh, you know, if you go, okay, we got eight hundred thousand mountain bikers, right? Did I do that right? Eight hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand mountain bikers in the country. 800,000 mountain bikers, that's still, you know, that's not a huge portion of the population if you if you work that same. And so saying that that's going to make the entire nation more fit, um, you know, that, that may be that may be the, the, the like the, the gigantic flaw in the whole thing is trying to trying to make that math work, because 800,000 people, I don't think is a significant uh, is in terms of the, the national population is not a significant number. Correct. Um, hang on for me one second. I'm so sorry. Sure. Okay, sorry. Um, okay. Uh, right. I mean, that is the crux of the situation, that um, that the, the, the change in our laws, in our public lands laws that STC is asking for, um, uh, don't benefit enough people. And so, and, and further... Um, you know, the way they want to make this change, the way they think that you would just make a decision case by case, working with your local managers, to, land managers to decide which trails should be open, that would actually be amending the NEPA Act. I mean, that would be changing NEPA. And so it's not, not only do they want to amend the Wilderness Act, they would also want to amend NEPA. Um, and so... And, and not only do we not have enough mountain bikers, e- even if all those people joined in by, it's still like a lot of those people don't believe that bikes need to be in wilderness. They actually agree with the wilderness act that there are some places where we want to minimize human impact. And if that means we are excluded, that's okay with them. So it's, there's also a problem with that, that not all mountain bikers really believe that they should ride their bikes everywhere. Um, Right. So, so you have that problem too. You have the problem of changing wilderness, changing NEPA, this assumption that all mountain bikers want to ride in wilderness. But, but it, it goes even deeper too. You know, whether or not you believe in climate change, regardless of whether you believe in it or not, or whether your listeners believe in it or not, a lot of people are worried about it. <laughs> and, though, and a lot of companies are racing to prove that their products and their methods and their services are more sustainable than their competitors. So in today's economy, being a green company is real. It's happening. Companies are competing to try to see who can be the greenest company. So, um, and what we're seeing with, um, you know, a lot of youth, uh, you know, they want to know what the environmental movement is going to do about climate change. That's what they're asking, and they're joining environmental groups like the Sierra Club in big numbers because they believe that those environmental groups are going to be the ones who lead, who lead the nation on climate change. Right. Let me jump in okay. here real quick. Um, I want to I ask you this. I kinda, we're going to come back to that because you're getting into something that, that there, there are two things that I want to kind of address that this is all going to dovetail back in. Um, and, and I have this, this theory about advocacy organizations, which I, I, I say IMBA is an advocacy organization. And 
strictly looking at my definition, I don't believe that the STC is. They may be advocating for something, but I don't view them as an advocacy organization. But I've got this theory that all advocacy organizations, whether it's one person or an international body like EMBA, they have this thing that uh, it's sort of, you, you can't really grasp it, but I call it political capital. Um, and this is this is influence that you can spend. It's kind of like goodwill and influence that you can spend to like get a seat at a table for a specific conversation, ask somebody for a favor, you know, whatever. And it's been my mm-hmm. experience that based on this 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 goodwill, um, you know, this political capital, um, I, I kind of get the impression that the, the the STC isn't generating a lot of goodwill with these organizations you've just brought up, like Sierra Club and all that. Um, the EMBA has been at the table with, and the reason that EMBA has been able to sit at the table is because they've been able to generate goodwill and accumulate political capital with those groups. Uh, does that ring true for you? And do you feel like the STC's actions could ultimately be detrimental to EMBA? Yes, I do. And I've already seen that they're detrimental. And yes, you're exactly right. Political capital is how you make a decision in a democracy. Um, you know, democracy, I think it was, uh, Churchill, who said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. <laughs> and, that would and be Churchill, think, yes. Yeah, and when you think about how democracy works, and the more you learn about how government works, it's government by committee. It's government by convincing your fellow citizens that your ideas will be better. And to do that, you have to be willing to compromise. You have to be, um, you have to earn political capital and you have to spend it. And and the thing that's, um, one of the, my mentors in the timber industry, he's done all kinds of deals on huge amounts of acreage that make our little trail issue pale in comparison. He told me that you know you have a good deal when you have a vested interest in your opponent's success. And, and, what, and that is what democracy is all about. You have to get to the point where you want your opponent to win so that you too win. You want the deal to go through so that you get your part of the bargain and your opponent gets their part of the bargain. It's the, and, art, of, it's the art of compromise and it's lost. <laughs> well, that's right. And anybody who talks about, like, it's better, you know, it's better to fight and lose than to not fight at all, I disagree. It's better to win. And Emba knows how to win, and Emba has been winning in place after place after place. And the decision to not fight to amend the Wilderness Act is the right decision for so many reasons. I mean, one, because not all mountain bikers want access to wilderness. Two, because access to wilderness by bikes will not benefit enough Americans. And three, because in this age of climate change, to make the environmental community your enemy is just stupid. Yeah, and 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 that's that comes in. You know, where I kind of I say all of this will dovetail together. Um, mm-hmm. There are very few people who are going to deny that that it's frustrating to, for instance, lose access to. And I go back to Boulder White Clouds. I've harped on that a lot. It's a place. Right. It's a place that I've never been there, but I've seen pictures from there. I've had people tell me, you know, it's it's beautiful. You you ride out, and I don't even think it's a matter of saying it's miles of trail. I think it's. It, it's the 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 ability to be able to to ride out into the middle of nowhere to where you know you have it's that experience it's the experience um, and and we've kind of talked about political capital you know we know it would be expensive in terms of relationships but is is there is there not something that can be done about areas like Boulder White Cloud you know there are mountain bike trails there um, you know and and vast tracts of land that that kind of you know, where those trails, there's been access lost there to existing trails. And I think that's the the uh, big issue, really, in terms of, of, you know, my own personal feeling is, is places where like that and where they go, you know, hey, we're looking at maybe, you know, uh, a wilderness area somewhere around Pisgah. And, you know, I'm all for, again, uh, you know, I feel like uh, I've had this conversation where, you know, they say, well, hunters are the original conservationist, you know, um, somebody who 
is truly dependent on the population of game in an area for food, for survival, will go out and take, you know, the smaller, weaker uh, specimens in the species to attempt to, you know, keep the... um, the species, the, the population there healthier, the gene pool in that area better, if you will. And and so I feel kind of like, like, you know, sort of like preaching that when I say, you know, mountain bikers are conservationists. We, you know, I don't necessarily want to go somewhere and find, you know, a big jump line. My, my thing is I want to go somewhere and ride off into the wilderness and be able to look out over, you know, the vast beauty that, you know, you can't you can't find it in the little hundred acre park, you know, that's in the middle of, of the city. That's a great place to go mountain biking during the week. But when you go on vacation, you know, to be able to go and, and ride 30 or 40 miles out into nothing. Um, and so I guess the question is this, is there, do you think, um, and maybe it's not the STC. Um, maybe there's another, another organization or another way to, approach this loss of trail um, there were this loss of, of opportunity I don't really want to talk about the land so much again it's the trails because we're talking about existing trails we're not talking about you know uh, crisscrossing thousands of acres of wilderness with trail the way you would in that little hundred acre park to try and get you know six or eight miles out there that you can get a, a decent lap in on um, is there a place maybe for someone like the STC or for a good cop bad cop scenario in in this in this debate is there a place for that no (laughs) and uh and let me explain why um okay first let's talk about the boulder white clouds for a minute it's a place i know really really well i've ridden all the trails there i worked on the boulder white clouds for many years and i count it as a personal loss that i wasn't able to win those keep those trails open and but let's also be clear about quantity the way you just talked about that that of course we all want to be able to go on vacation and ride where there's nothing man-made and that's what western spirit is all about i mean that's what we basically do on almost every western spirit trip is ride out into the backcountry so Backcountry mountain bike trails are really important, and and there are lots of them. And uh, so when you talk about the loss of the Boulder White Clouds, there are, um, we lost one ride there. We lost one giant ride. Two rides, maybe, for me. (laughs) I don't like to do the whole thing in one day. But, but. Really, it was one big ride that we lost. We still have several rides in that area, two in particular that are world-class rides. They are open. You can go there and ride Little Boulder to Big Boulder Creek today. You can ride the Germania Trail. There are trails in the Boulder White Clouds that are open to mountain bike. So people need to be more precise. Losing one trail... so. When I, when I went back to work for IMBA as staff, we created the Public Lands Initiative, and I worked on 30 different public lands bills around the country. And, there were, and of those 30, 28 of them we won on. Two of them we lost, and one is not even lost yet. It's, it's kind of in limbo. And the, real, the only one that we lost is the Boulder White Cloud. But let me tell you about one of the wins. In New Mexico, we moved the boundary of an existing wilderness to open a trail. And we did that through a trade. We traded some really bad trails in a wilderness study area for a 20-mile trail to an alpine lake that comes right out of Tile Ski Valley. So, like, and and I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that's ever negotiated a deal with the help of IMBA and other people to open a bike trail in an existing wilderness. We moved to the boundary of a wilderness to open a bike trail. Now, did Emba like, call the New York Times? No, you know, we didn't want to really push the conservation community. We didn't want to poke them in the eye with this. It was kind of a new idea for them, and we were relatively quiet about it. Now, in retrospect, I wish I had called the New York Times about that because it was a big deal. So... So the reality is we are negotiating on all these trails all over the place. 
And we lost one trail in the Boulder White Clouds, not the whole place. So people have, one of our problems is this whole conversation is, is without facts. It's without mileage. It's without acreage. It's this idea that suddenly we've lost all the backcountry rides. Well, that's not true at all. For one thing, Western Spirit would be out of business, and we're doing great. So, so what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is the reason there's no need for a bad cop is because the good cop has got it covered. What you're saying is that the good cop has gone in and and done what the bad cop says that they're, they're you've actually you've actually gained mileage back out of a wilderness area through actually having. A, a boundary moved to open a trail back up. So you, you've gained access, and and one of the things that one of the things that I would ask uh, the the STC, and I'm going to ask them this. So guys, if you're listening, be prepared. What if the STC is able to push this bill through to where they allow you know each individual land manager that's in charge of these wilderness areas to to on a one to one basis decide uh, whether or not they want to allow mountain biking there and all of them decide no actually we're not going to uh what have they accomplished <laughs> well right that's a good question but but even to get to that point again you have to amend the wilderness act you have to amend NEPA. and let me just tell you about all the organizations that will go to the mat to make sure that doesn't happen and let me those organizations the sierra club the wilderness Society, the Green Canyon Trust, Oregon Wild. I mean, I can go on for half an hour of organizations, and these organizations measure their members in millions. And 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 their wealth, well, wealth, uh, financial clout is is you know well beyond anything that the mountain biking community is going to muster. <laughs> and they represent a large portion of Americans. Right. I mean, it goes back to that you. STC is a tiny little special interest group that doesn't even represent all mountain bikers. And they're asking for a tiny little thing that benefits only them. <clears throat> and they're trying to make the case that it benefits other people, but those other people aren't buying it. So, and the reason it's a problem for me, or the reason that, and one, my original thought was, you know, knock yourselves out, raise your money, any lobbyist, you, anybody can find a lobbyist in D.C. If you pay them, they'll do anything. Sure. That's what they're there so, for, your money. You know, yeah, spend your money, in, raise your money in D.C., spend it, and, uh, and let the whole thing just sort of flame out. But the reason I felt like it was time to get involved is they are hurting the effort. And here's why. There's really two ways that they're hurting the effort. If you are a mountain biker in XYZ town, and there's a wilderness proposal in your region, and you've got a good relationship with your local wilderness advocates, and you're working on making sure that whatever land protection scheme they come up with, if it includes a national recreation area, a national conservation area, even a national monument, whatever tool they're going to use to protect the land, you're working hard to make sure that is a bike-friendly designation. So there you are at your meetings, and suddenly... uh, you find out that the the conservation community's Facebook page has been attacked, and they've been there. There's people on their Facebook page saying that this group that you've been working with plans to close all the trails. So now everybody has to go into fire drill mode and say, "Wait a minute, that was never our intent. That's not what's happening." And so it, it's very disruptive to your negotiations. And so what's happening is. You know, if you have an extreme group that's over, that's exaggerating the threat, mostly to raise money, it's the, the reason that the numbers are not part of this argument, that the conversation is, the entire backcountry is going to be closed. All the trails in the backcountry will be closed to mountain bikes. You know, there, that conversation is, helps STC raise money. If they say... There's a few miles of trails here and there that are actually in play right now. And guess what? There are mountain bike advocates negotiating for those trails today. All day long, you know, we've got somebody on it in all these places. So if they say that, how can they raise any money? Right. They, instead, they're, relying, they're relying on, on the... the uh, the, the, the me 
media style panic mongering that we we see so often to to raise money for you know let me distract you with, let me distract you with the three miles of trail that we lost over here um, to to you know get your money for you know I, I don't know we we have this conversation and and kind of more and more I wonder what actually are they fighting for because we do we hear all of this about how much is lost and not how much is actually saved and uh, and, and well that's for sure that that or or that I mean sure that we, there are bad decisions the Forest Service could make and we're on it we're paying attention to that and we're ma- we're involved I mean. You know, there are some trails at risk. I don't argue. I, I don't. I'm not saying there are not trails at risk, but we get more bees with honey. We've learned that over and over again. And one of the reasons we lost the Boulder White Cloud is that the group of people that were locals that were working on it from the beginning, they were. There's two types of mountain bike advocates: the people who understand that we get more bees with honey and come in to the land manager and say, what problem can I solve for you today? Those people are the people who are building more trails. The people who walk in and say, we demand access. We want access. If that's all they say, guess what? (laughs) They aren't building a partnership. They aren't building political capital. They basically have nothing. And the fact is, that was the kind of conversation happening in the Boulder White Clouds, and that's one of the reasons we lost it. I met with Senator Reich a month before the bill passed. And we had all these businesses write letters. We talked about the economic values of the trail. And he said, you know what, Ashley, this is a really good letter, but I'm not cracking this deal open for you. We cut this deal five years ago. You weren't there at the time. And, uh, and I'm not cracking it open for you, even though you make a really good argument here. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I guess, I guess I can ask this question. We've kind of answered it, but I want to. I want to ask you: Do you see a systemic problem in the mountain biking community that basically boils down to a, a lack of of hands-on advocacy work within the ranks? Of the uh, of mountain bikers, uh, that's kind of led to a, a lack of patience. That the, we've now got this vocal part of the mountain bike community uh, seems to develop this lack of patience with with Imba and you know regarding uh, bikes in the wilderness and, and, uh, and apparently many other things. Um, what, well, what, what are can, those other things? Because the what, only one I really know about is bikes in wilderness. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, and I, hear, I think the rest of it is sort of I don't see. I don't. I um, hear a lot of people say saying things like, you know, Emba Emba is lining their pockets and and they're out of touch with with what mountain bikers really want, and you know, with like the this you get this you know, uh, oh they've gone and you know Emba's you know uh, sustainable trail techniques you know there are no more technical trails they're dumbing down all of the trails, you know, and you get a lot of this and you know I've been mountain biking for for thirty years. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, a lot of the, the old style trails that some of these people are talking about. And yes, the new trails are completely different. But when I go to, you know, places like Lookout Mountain uh, in, in Stokesville, Virginia, and see, you know, and, and I believe that that was, um, I believe that that was done through uh, an, an IMBA organization there, an, an IMBA chapter, where, you know, they brought in uh, a, a group and did a reroute on an old fall line trail there and you know if that's not technical enough for you um i don't know what to tell you i mean they spent thousands of hours putting in these fantastic rock gardens on this trail going you know down this mountain it's it's better than it ever was and it's still technical it's still challenging it's still a great ride it's still beautiful scenery and 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 again you know what i feel like as i'm I'm, as i'm asking this i'm saying you know it seems like we have this system problem where so much of the mountain biking community is out of touch with with what Imba is actually doing and and I guess what I'm asking is if we acknowledge that we have this fact 
where there, there are so few people within the community that have been involved hands-on in the advocacy side of this and understand what IMBA is really doing. How can we as a community, the part of the community, the fraction of that community, let's say, that really understands this, how can we reach out to that um, apparently vocal majority? I don't think that's actually the case, but how can we reach out to them and and kind of pull them into the fold? Would you do you have any recommendations on on how to um, you know how how to I guess open their eyes um, and and kind of bring them into that hands on advocacy situation where they're going to develop the sort of understanding that we're talking about here? Yeah, well, I um, have been criticized for slapping everyone around. And uh, I accept that criticism and that I have not been, I've been trying to um, help people understand. I haven't been that gentle about it. Um, and you're right that, that what is needed is we need more people to really understand how the public land system works because if the folks that are angry and uh, impatient took that energy and that money and put it into the public land system in a way that we know work by following NEPA, by working with your local land manager, by working with your local environmentalist. Because when we come back to the point and you say, if a mountain biker says, I'm an environmentalist too, I'm a conservationist, my question for them is, what have you ever done besides advocate for your own access? Right. Have you ever gotten involved in any way? And one of the ways that, um, for example, in Utah, you know, there's a 9 million acre wilderness proposal in the state of Utah. And it really, uh, it doesn't close any bike trails <laughs> because the wilderness community in Utah wants the bike community to be part of the conversation. They want the bike community to support their efforts to protect these lands. Right. So then the question becomes, and you ask, like, like, what do you do? And I'm going to throw this out there because my listeners are going, okay, that's a fair question. What can we do? And and I would say, um, you know, we have uh, things that in, in Tennessee. We've got uh, what are they, they? It's it's something like uh, two two million tree day or something. It's not two million. It's 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 a big number. Four feet. You mean? Pardon me. Are you talking about timber sales? No, no, no. We have we have oh. we have this thing. It's 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 uh, and I think it's I think it's twenty thousand tree day is what they call it. Basically, what happens is is uh, it's similar to, and I think a lot of places do this on Arbor Day. So there's something you can look for is Arbor Day stuff. But where yeah, they go out and, and the goal is they will distribute these these saplings to uh, numerous stations throughout the state, where then volunteer organizations can go out and get these saplings for free to plant, you know, uh, in, in parks, in their yards, and, you know, wherever they can legally, you know, find a place to plant a tree. There are organizations that have done it in local parks here. Uh, we had a, a federal rehabilitation project done on a stream through uh, one of the parks where we've got mountain bike trails. And one of the things that, that they've done is they've planted additional trees along here to help, you know, control erosion. And one of the things that, you know, we've said there are going to be hiking trails in this park. There are going to be people hiking in this park because there have been trails here for a long time and that's what people do. If you let us come in and and maintain these trails and fix these trails up a little bit, we can actually use these trails to help prevent erosion from happening where people, you know, would be, you know, walking fall lines rather than, you know, walking along this nice trail that we've built that's, you know, sustainable. It's not going to sure. erode your land. And so, you know, when, when, when you talk about you know what what have you done for these environmental groups uh you know that's something if you bring stuff like that to the table and again this is largely you know for the listeners and and you know and you've probably got a thousand other things that you can suggest that people can do to get involved in this stuff to again to build this goodwill on a local on a local basis with the environmental groups in that area 
That's right. And this is something that, um, you know, we're working with the motorized community on this too. Like if, you know, resource extraction, like so many mountain bikers are these, the mountain bikers that are angry right now, they think this whole conversation is about them and the elitist hikers. And they just think it's not fair. And these hikers got, just because they were here first, it's just not fair. And the elitist hikers, and we should have access. And they're talking about, they're on the edge of the onion and they peeled up a little piece of skin and they think they know what, they're focused on that. And the reality of the public land conversation is that most of our public lands historically have been used for resource extraction. It's all about timber and mining and oil and gas and most of our federal land. And people may may not be that familiar about this, but if you're going to talk about large tracts of public backcountry, like the Boulder White Clouds and other places, you know, you really got to understand how the federal land system works. So what you're dealing with is um, people, the, the paradigm, the resource extraction people, uh, much of the system was set up to facilitate resource extraction. Historically, like 100 years ago, 150 years ago, when people first came to the West, it was all about mining and running cows and cutting down trees. That's what it was all about, right? And so much of the federal land system is set up to encourage people to do resource extraction. Well, we're at this point in the 21st century where, one, we realize that the earth is not infinite, that the resources on the earth are not infinite, and that, and that there are consequences to taking all the trees off a slope, to burning all the coal, you know, to drilling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of feet of wells, you know, 1,000-foot deep wells, 5,000, 10,000 feet deep into the earth, like, that has consequences. And, you know, you may say, I just want to go for a bike ride. I don't care about oil and gas. I don't care about timber. I just want to go for a bike ride. Well, your bike ride happens on public land. And if you want to make sure that trail is always there and that you get new trails, you need to care about how we're managing resource extraction. So that you're right. There's thousands of opportunities for mountain bikers to get seriously involved in the environmental movement that will build political clout and it will lead to more trails. Right. So that's... But having, having, sorry, having this, having an interest group that's simply demanding access, demanding changes to laws, that they clearly don't really understand, what that's doing is for those of us that are honest brokers that are working directly with the environmental community to keep trails open, if you're in there cutting a deal to keep your trails open and some component of your community, some little group from your community is doing an end around, you know, that's working the angle around and they're trying to get, I don't know, some Tea Party congressman to run this bill to... Sticking, you know, to poke the environmental community in the eye, because that's what it would be being, we, the mountain bikers, would be used as a tiny little pin, not a, not a bat, not even a stick, a tiny little pin to poke the environmental community in the eye. Why should the people that I'm working with to cut a deal, why should they cut a deal with me if some component of my community is, is trying an end around on them? Exactly. So, so, so STC is doing real damage by exaggerating the threat and by turning the rest of us into dishonest brokers. Okay, and and I mean, I think that summarizes it. I think we've I think we've backed it up. I think we've got the facts. I think that that we understand, uh, you know, what what the what the struggle has been uh, across across the last you know roughly thirty years that that Emba has been um, you know working to to gain trail access and preserve trail access for mountain bikers. Um, and I think that uh, from from my point of view, anyway. I mean, this has been one of those things that's been a little bit enlightening even for me because, like I said, we only hear the bad, you know. And we, we don't hear, you know, really there's only, you know, one big ride that's gone and there's still all of these other really great rides that are that are there in Boulder White Clouds. And it's so reassuring right. to, to hear things like that, you know. And, and I think a lot of people miss out. All they hear is a new wilderness was created and nobody says there were no mountain bike trails there because you're right. talking about 9 million acres in Utah. Well, you know what? Yeah, guess 
guess what? Guess what happens to, well, I'm, I'm not going to say that Moab would dry up and blow away without the mountain bikers, but the mountain bikers in Moab are a huge part of the economy in that area. And that's undeniable. We're a huge they, part of the business fabric of the state. So, yes. We're a huge part of the, of the state's um, image. And because of that, we have a lot of political capital. And I'm not saying that there aren't, we still have to negotiate. We still have to work. We have to be at the table. We have to participate. It's not a done deal. There are negotiations happening in Utah this very moment over certain areas and certain trails. And some of it has to do with just future development. Where should the future trails be? Not just existing trails, but where should future trails be to meet population growth? So, like, the conversation has to keep happening, but... There's just no scenario where you're going to beat, uh, there's no scenario where demanding access and using sort of force or even fairness or any of those arguments, they don't work. Um, what works is proving the value of our constituency, that having mountain bikers in this place or that place it's good for local government. It's good for the local land managers. It's good for the community. We have to prove the value of our constituency. We can't just demand access. Um, and and SDC is trying to do that with their bill. They're saying this will provide value to all these different groups, the armed forces and uh, firefighters and healthcare providers. And it's just way, way too big an overreach. Right. So... I, Ashley, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. We've been on the phone here for an, an hour. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to have this conversation with me to help kind of get the facts out there and and to to clarify points and to to talk on on some of the some of the things that have been on my mind about this. Um, is there is there any like one last point you'd like to throw out there to everybody? I think a lot of the people that listen to my show are um, ultimately they do care about the trails and that's kind of a, a focus of theirs um, you know because they are they are mountain bikers and it's like I, 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 I close my show I tell I tell people you don't need mountains to mountain bike but you do need trails um, right. so, we well, need public land right you need <laughs> public land so, so I mean what, what would if you if you had a parting shot um, one thing that you really wanted everybody to take heart take to heart uh, what would it be um, I know that's a big ass. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make it uh, pithy. Um, uh, if you are angry and worried about trail access, get the facts first. Get the facts. Don't don't succumb to the hype or the panic, or the exaggeration, get the facts and know the facts in your region. There are way too many mountain bikers that don't even know who the landowner is. They talk about trail systems like, we ride in the fourth area trail area, or fourth area trail system, or whatever, uh, in Georgia. Or they ride, they name some, they name the name of the trail. Like, we ride Porcupine Rim, or whatever. Um, or the whole enchilada here in Love. And when you say, well, who owns that land? They have no idea. So the one thing that you need to do is find out who the landowner is and get the facts, get the numbers, get the mileage, get the acreage, don't succumb to the hype. And then, I mean, you have only yourself to blame. If you don't have trail access where you want it, you have only yourself to blame. And the more people who do get involved, it's amazing how much we've won. And yes, we have... Uh, you know, there's possibilities of places where, you know, talking about existing wilderness and certainly future wilderness, we have all kinds of opportunity to maintain trail access there, but we won't do it through threats, and we won't do it by trying to run a bill that doesn't make any sense. We have to do it by, by uh, being a valuable member of the public lands community. Building relationships. That was yeah, building relationships, right? Well, all right, that's that's fantastic. Thank you, Ashley. Um, I I hope it was helpful. I, I I try not to go down too many rabbit holes, but you do have to, you know, um, you have to as, do the as, education part. 
as Ben would say, the 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 rabbit holes are podcast gold. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for being interested. And if you listen to all this and you're like, what the heck was she meaning there? Feel free to get back in touch. I want to thank Ashley again for taking the time to talk with me about this. Don't get the idea that all of this is going to be coming from one side. Stay tuned for some upcoming shows where we can hopefully follow this up with some interviews from the folks at the STC and some other interested parties as well. If you want to get in on a conversation on Facebook, check out the Trailcast page at www.facebook.com forward slash Trailcast podcast. And on that note, you can also follow along with what I'm doing on Twitter by following at Catharius. That's C-O-T-H-A-R-Y-U-S. And on Instagram using the same name, Catharius. So again, I want to thank Ben over at Mountain Bike Radio for giving me a forum for this podcast. Head over to mountainbikeradio.com and support them and check out some of the other shows. Remember, you can get them through Stitcher or you can download the Mountain Bike Radio app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. And uh, you can grab uh, the podcast through iTunes if you want to. Um, if you uh, If you like the podcast, if you like the shows on Mountain Bike Radio, then definitely hit the review sections there. Give it a give it a review. It makes it easier for people to find. And I think uh, as we discussed, numbers are important. So for everyone, um, that's it for episode fourteen of Trailcast. Thanks for listening. And remember, you don't need mountains to mountain bike, but you do need trails. Mm-hmm.